welcome to episode five of Fungibility. Took last week off. I was in Cancun, Mexico. Nice, nice weather coming coming into to winter. Nice place to be, and had some interesting conversations. I met up with a crew out of uh, Playa de Carmen and Morton, who is operating the Airdrop Alerts website. So I thought I'd invite him on this week's show. I'm I'm back in my home office, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Ruth. Thanks, Ruth. It was uh, very nice to meet you, and I have some uh, tomato juice beers on the beach. And uh, great to be here today. Yeah, th- those were certainly tasty. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed our, our discussions, our, our drinks. You, you invited me out to the crypto meetup. I, I met uh, some really interesting folks in the sort of local crypto scene. Yeah, it's uh, quite surprising how the crypto scene here in uh, Playa del Carmen and Tulum it grew over the last uh, few months. And uh, I think a crypto meetup in Tulum started last year. And the one in Playa del Carmen where we were, went started about six months ago. And it's been growing every week. It's crazy. Yeah, it was certainly a packed uh, packed house. The topic, you know, wasn't, wasn't <laughs> exactly the most compelling topic. I think they were discussing international crypto tax law, but the conversation at our table was certainly interesting. And one of your uh, friends, uh, I think also from the Netherlands, uh, sort of the, the crypto family guy was uh, in- interesting. Yeah, uh, the Bitcoin family, actually. But uh, yeah, Didi is an interesting character. He sold his house uh, in 2017 for Bitcoin uh, and then started traveling with his... Uh, wife and three daughters and uh, yeah in the bear market they stayed in uh, mostly in thailand and uh, the countries where the cost of living is uh, a lot cheaper than europe and uh, now now they've been here for a few months in mexico and i mean i'm gonna celebrate christmas at their house uh, next sunday oh so so basically this this family they decided to put all their money in, into crypto a few years ago and start traveling the world as kind of crypto nomads i think is the story and it's done quite well from he obviously is his Bitcoin holdings and sort of enjoys life on as a kind of bankless sort of. Yeah, nomad. exactly. The, the bankless is uh, specifically uh, impressive for me. Uh, if you travel uh, as much as he does and then being able to get around without using a bank ever, that's uh, that's a big kudos off to him. Yeah, it's it's it, it's certainly interesting, you know, trying to sort of operate in a world that's dominated by traditional finance in a crypto-only approach. But it sounds like uh, he's able to do it. Most of the things that he's, you know, buying are are crypto-friendly. Whether it's you know an Airbnb or various types of gift cards and and sort of debit cards and things like that. So it's uh, it's really certainly an interesting case study. So let's talk about you a little bit. You're you're running the Airdrop Alert site. You've been one of the probably the first folks to really sort of get into that space. You know, maybe you can tell us a little bit sort of about your background and how you found your way into the crypto uh, world. Sure. Um, like my background, like I was a poker player for professional poker player for eight years. Um, when I say that, I mean online poker player. So I wasn't going from event to event, but yeah, I was playing from my laptop. Uh, that allowed me to like travel the world as well. Poker taxes weren't that great in the Netherlands. So I uh, immigrated in 2012, I would say, uh, to live in Italy where I was more more tax friendly, used that as a base to start traveling the world and playing online actually. And that's also my, was my introduction to cryptocurrency. Um, yeah, poker is not like, um, it's a bit frowned upon by some governments, even in the Netherlands, it's not, um, they don't consider it income. Uh, and yeah, you, you get into issues with uh, different banks if you uh, withdraw your winnings. 
And also, as a poker player, you tend to play on various different sites with various different currencies. So I was playing on Chinese sites, British sites, European sites, US sites, Brazilian sites, and swapping currencies uh, like on a semi-daily basis becomes very costly. So actually in the cryptos or in the poker scene, there's many early adopters as crypto because this was kind of a solution for us to uh, get in, in and out of currencies quickly. Yeah, it's it, the the idea of sort of stable coins and you know forex certainly work well for for movement across different types of currencies payments it's certainly a a popular approach a lot of what what i've been doing is you know exploring some of the stable coins as a unit of settlement for the transactions in in the award pool platform as well so you you're, you've sort of seen the the sort of life cycle of the last several years of of crypto you know bear markets bull markets the ups and the downs you know what what are your sort of thoughts like where, what's what's next well a bear uh, market is going to be next i know most listeners probably don't want to hear that but um yeah so the, we should have topped out in december and like all the predictions were like 100k plus some even went as far as 400k i was also in the boat of we're going to be 100 150k in december like i would have bet like everything i own on it uh, if i got the right odds but now we're here and it's not even 50k so I know the general opinion right now is uh, a little bit a prolonged bull cycle, maybe till March, April, some say June. Um, it's possible. It's possible in my case, but I'm right now I'm hatching my bets here. Like it, it is possible, but definitely need an exit strategy in case it doesn't happen. Yeah, I think I think the market's changed a little bit since the last you know, bull cycle we saw back in like 2017, 2018. And, you know, back then there was a lot less leverage. So you didn't have this sort of cascading effect of liquidation when there were these these sort of fluctuations. Needless to say, there's a lot of fluctuations in the crypto market. Things go up, things go down. But now when, when those things happen, especially on the downside, you've got these sort of liquidation calls that really cascade those down cycles quite a bit more and quite a bit more quickly, which I think changes the dynamics of the the bull run quite a bit because yeah as as we all know there's um you know there there's a natural sort of tendency what goes up has to come down Mm -hmm. for various reasons profit taking or whatever so it's almost like you know i think in my opinion a good thing to if we can elongate this bull bull run so it's a bull run that doesn't last six or eight months and then we have four years of crypto winter you know what what I think would be a better sort of scenario here would be, you know, a bull run that's maybe not as fast in terms of the upside, but lasts longer than six or eight months, like two years potentially. But then the question would be, does that also elongate the winter cycle? In my opinion, yes. It's like uh, that's the good side of the metal of the coin um, in, in this scenario. If the bull market doesn't blow off on top as much as we are used to kind of, um, and it takes longer, then the downside should also be less. Like if you look at the bear market bottom, it was like 70 or 80% from the bull market top of 2018. Um, if we if we go that down like that now, that would mean like we go below the previous top of 20K and that's that would also be a historical first. So my conclusion will be also that if the bear market is longer, if we don't top off that hard, 
or the bull markets longer if we don't top off that hard the bear market should be shorter and we shouldn't have an 80 percent dip anymore so maybe we're going towards the super cycle in one or two more cycles and this should be the start of us seeing that shorter and less volatile uh, bear and bulls eventually evens out till we get to a super cycle yeah i completely agree so we're going to take a quick break just to get make sure everything's working and, and the recording's great. And we're going to be back in a moment with Morton from Airdrop Alert. And we'll be back. All right, we're back and we're having a great conversation here. Let's not focus on the crypto winner. That's too depressing for me. Let's talk about more something more interesting <laughs> to, to our audience. Let's talk about this idea of airdrops. You, we see that everywhere in crypto, this idea that you can kind of seed your community, in my case, engage your community with uh, various types of crypto rewards and NFTs and things like that. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing and, and the sort of benefit to it? Yeah, sure. So Airdrop Alert is kind of like an aggregator, an Airdrop library, as we call it, where you can find the, diff the different variations of Airdrops that are available right now to claim or, or, or to get for free. So uh, I started in 2017, like in the summer, there was no Airdrop platform around. I was surprised. Um, we saw like uh, the first version of Airdrops were if you had Bitcoin, you could claim an Airdrop. and for me that was super cool like i had a bunch of bitcoins i was able to claim the stellar lumens airdrop able to claim the bite ball airdrop which was every month and i was surprised um there wasn't anything a sort of information to find these things and everyone i talked to was very excited about it so i just created the library and it kind of blew up and uh, it confirmed that this is what people need and for me when i started Airdrop alert it was um I saw it as a way to bring people into crypto. I've been into Bitcoin since 2013. I told between 2013 and 2017, I must have told a thousand people about Bitcoin and maybe five bought Bitcoin. And then I started talking about airdrops and at least half the people were willing to claim a free airdrop. So I was like, hey, this is the way to get crypto to the masses. It's not because, yeah, I'm from the Netherlands and I think maybe that's why I have a different point of view on the industry It's like in a negative, we're quite cautious. and. Now, in the States, people are more willing to take risk with their money. Investing is more ingrained in the society. But in Europe, that's different. Uh, people are more like looking at the risk, scared to lose their money. And so AirDrops is a way where people can get stuff for free, which is great. Now, the evolution of AirDrops completely changed, obviously, since 2017. Like these AirDrops in the beginning, AirDropping to Bitcoin holders basically means that they are vampire attacking the community. They want part of their community to come to them, which is a, it's a pretty stealth marketing tactic and it worked. Then the ICO boom came and they started using it to grow their community rapidly. Plus, yeah, in the, in the beginning it was just like grow the communities. So every community boomed by giving an airdrop. Later in the bear market, they people start seeing the flip side of airdrops like, hey, but if we give all these tokens for free, people are gonna sell them really quickly and then we still have zero community left. So they started with using it more as an engagement tool where you need to do repetitive tasks. Uh, exchanges start doing uh, trading competitions to create more volume and returning and retention and returning users. So you see the, it, the adult space kind of evolving from 
vampire attacking certain communities to like bootstrapping, quickly growing certain communities and then start using it as an engagement tool. And I kind of see the same evolution right now happening in the NFT space where the first airdrops, NFT airdrops were based on holders. We saw the mutant apes being airdropped, the serum was airdropped to the board apes users. So you, as a holder, you get the rewards. Um, I'm, sh I'm pretty confident. We see a lot of like NFT giveaways. Uh, I'm fairly confident the next step here is that there's going to, there's going to be so much PFP projects. The next step in the NFT airdrop will be that they are just going to give away them for free. Half of them, 30% of them to start the initial community, because like the more supply there is, the more the projects are going to fight for the attention and and money of the users because the NFT community is still quite small, right? OpenSea has about 500,000, maybe uh, last time I checked was 200,000, 250,000 active users in a month, active traders. Maybe they have five, 600,000 users in total. In total, So it's, it's kind of like a quite small pool of people. So if you have a lot of supply, they are gonna need to fight. So how, how are they gonna fight for that attention? Give away more, more NFTs for free. Yeah, well, this this podcast is a perfect example of that. We are literally dropping the each new episode of the podcast on the Polygon Network. So I'll, anyone who hasn't uh, done so, go to the warp the sort of fungibility widget. You can put in your MetaMask address, and every subsequent episode will be airdropped to you. And I think in some ways, you, a lot of what you've outlined sort of is proved by this very podcast. We've we've just surpassed 250,000 unique uh, visitors to a fungibility website in our first four weeks, which is spectacular. Wow. We did uh, yeah, 25,000 the first day. Uh, I think we're comfortably the number one NFT podcast within the first week. So pre pretty, where pretty crazy. Finding, where are you finding these people? <laughs> they are finding so uh, some interesting stats if you if ever for those who are interested. So uh, of the users we get on average, we do about 70% conversion. That means if you hit the website and see the, our little widget, 70% of those users actually sign up. For the widget, which is pretty crazy on in, on it in itself, but of the seventy percent of the users who actually sign up, they in turn invite on average of four other people. So what we're seeing, in, at least in this podcast, is a kind of viral effect of sorts, where each new user is inviting more users, and they in turn invite more users, and it creates this kind of viral loop. And the reward system that we have in place, you're getting you know tokens on the point system and each and you can redeem those tokens for actual nfts and of the podcast and other airdrops and nfts that we're doing in partnership with some of the guests that we have on the show but the format seems to work that's for sure oh yeah it's crazy and uh they are, are all any, any of the nfts of the podcast being resold or is there no secondary market yet Right now, we, we haven't enabled that feature. Um, you know, as you know, the, the widget is sponsored by Award Pool, which I so happen to be the founder of. Um, but And in an upcoming uh, re release of the uh, platform, we will be enabling sort of reselling and trading of the assets themselves. So what our, our intention is to do with this podcast is over the next few weeks, we'll probably disable the ability to get the previous um, – episodes of the podcast in terms of nft and the only way you'll be able to get those is to either trade those or buy those from others who already have them because we're on the polygon network we've built in the OpenSea specification so you could take those export those into your metamask and trade them on OpenSea or other OpenSea compatible 
um, marketplaces. Yeah, that's crazy. It can reshape the podcast industry because like how are, how are podcasters monetizing right now? It's like mostly uh, advertising and uh, affiliate well, deals, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think what's interesting for us, one of the things that we built into the the actual specification, well, I guess you could say the OpenSea folks built into their specification, was this idea of a royalty. So in, I think it maxes out a, a thousand basis points, which is 10%. So what that means is as the the episodes or the NFT that you're essentially giving away are traded, you've got the potential to sort of monetize on the secondary sales. So I'm giving you the NFT for free and maybe there's only a few hundred of those available and then someone else wants it for whatever reason, they can sell it. And then as that, as those additional transactions happen, the, there is a wallet address embedded in the actual NFT and any of the royalties on that secondary sale are then deposited into that wallet address well, i hope we didn't uh, lose any listeners there on that on that <laughs> 100, 100 words <laughs> yeah lot, lots lots of interesting uh you know technical as you guys know i, I love i love tech if anyone listened to episode four you'll you'll uh, hear me talking about cloud computing but let's try to keep it a little less technical let what what's the next uh, stage of sort of the nft world where, where do you think this all leads to <clears throat> I'm very curious to see how this plays out, uh, especially if we do it. Like, uh, I don't want to circle back to the crypto winter, but that's like where where my interest is, is right now to see how NFTs play out there. Like uh, we saw the past summer when we had the peak in May and then the famous uh, Elon Musk tweet, which uh, caused the cascade, as you uh, explained before. Um, and then the summer was a very boring summer for crypto. Uh, but the NFTs and especially the PFP uh, NFTs, they went crazy. Um, using the board Ape as example again, it was minted in May for 0.08, and the floor right now is uh, 55 ETH. So it, those are insane gains. Um, and I am kindly look. I'm kind of looking at finding patterns in. Is this smart money moving around using an NFT, which most of them are kind of packed by ETH, uh, trying to move between ETH where, uh, into a, a liquid JPEG, which is packed to ETH, uh, that can go while ETH uh, stabilizes or goes down, sees the value of the uh, JPEG go up. So I'm kind of looking at patterns there. If, if there's smart traders going in and out, uh, I, I haven't found confirmations yet in this idea that I have, um, but I'm very interested to see how that plays out in a crypto winter for sure. Yeah, and with the emergence of OpenSea on different blockchains, I think we're starting to see that a lot of the whales or those who have you know significant amounts of capital at their disposal are choosing to stay in the Ethereum ecosystem, and a lot of the projects that may not have uh, you know the cost basis are choosing other platforms like Polygon, and I, I would guess uh, you know Binance and other other blockchains as they get support for for OpenSea. Solana. Solana, yeah, exactly. So it's it's interesting to see, and and there seems to be like an evolution as a community becomes more liquid, you know, more valuable. They have there's a tendency to sort of migrate back to Ethereum. Yeah, it uh, it kind of makes sense, right? Because um, also we yeah we're well aware that um, Solana is great, uh, seems to be cheap. Or Polygon the same, uh, can handle a lot of transactions, but there's always the risk of uh, if a bear market hits, it goes down 99% and maybe we don't even see it anymore in the next pool. 
So yeah, if you are super liquid in a certain currency, you have to uh, mitigate the risk and eat, even though it can uh, it can go down a lot in value as well. It's more stable than the other ones. Oh yeah, like what what I what I generally do is I take my profits and put it back in the ether Bitcoin, and that's it's it's maybe not maximizing the my short term profits, but it's certainly maximizing my downside in in the case of a elongated crypto winter. And ultimately, the only number that really matters to me in in my crypto holdings is my BTC value. I don't really look at what my USD or or euro value is. It's it's kind of in you know meaningless to me. I'm just looking at accumulation of BTC value. And as long as that BTC value continues to increase, I know I'm, I'm doing well. And it, it also makes me feel better in bad times. Like when you look at your, your, your crypto holdings purely from the point of view of how much is, is it worth in fiat, it just, it, it's too kind of, I don't know, nerve wracking. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But you always need to have like a, your your monthly burn, right? You need to have some fiat because if crypto goes down ninety percent and you need to uh, liquidate Bitcoin just to pay the rent, then then you're not gonna have more Bitcoin when the bull market starts again. <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, again, that's for like someone that's completely in the crypto world, and and like it or not, I still live in in the fiat world, so I I basically don't touch my my crypto holdings. I'm a I'm a holder, you know, I, once I get it, I don't really touch it. I'm maybe at some point in the future, I might liquidate, but the only times I've ever liquidated is when it's been hacked, but, uh, it's not the kind of liquidation Oof. I'm looking for. Um, you want to, you want to share our story of that or we're out of time soon? Uh, we're, we're almost out of time on, a, on an upcoming episode. I will tell you about uh, my, my friends in Japan at Mount Gox and I use friends very, very loosely. Um, but yeah, I, I, I bought. Actually, I just celebrated my 10th anniversary holding Bitcoin. I almost lost all of it in 2014, these Mt. Gox outfit. But anyway, it's, it's, it was a valuable lesson in you know centralization and spreading your risk around. <laughs> Never will I keep all my stuff in one place again. Yeah, yeah 100% agree. 100% agree. As now you say centralization, actually, that was my biggest like a uh, bummer of this uh, bull market was DeFi. Like for me, it was the, obviously the, the DeFi bull started in summer 2020, but it didn't continue into 2021. Uh, while for me, this was the best uh, like uh, technology that came in this bull market. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of discussions. I don't know if you saw the sort of raging discussion on Twitter yesterday regarding this idea of Web3. There's basically the debate went sort of down the road between, I think it was Jack Dorsey, the founder of, of, of Twitter and Square versus Andresen, Mark Andresen from Andresen Horowitz and a, and a number of other sort of proponents of this idea of Web3 uh, and, and sort of DeFi. And basically this conversation kind of went like, you know, Web3 is essentially a way to make the rich richer. The VCs and those traditional investors, you know, are backing all these projects and and they're essentially in control. There's it's a centralized value store for those who already ha- who are already rich. And then on the other side of the bait, which is Jack Dorsey basically saying Bitcoin's the future. It puts the power of finance and value back in the hands of sort of the every man and woman. So it's and it was interesting to sort of watch that conversation. I'm not sure I agree with either of the two. I think it's a little bit of both. It'd be interesting to sort of hear your opinion on it. Well, it's a bit of both, right? Um, so yeah, if you have uh, if you're already rich, you're one of the top one percent, and you are you're 
able to invest uh, 100k in Bitcoin and that 100x is on you, yeah, now you have 10 million. Uh, so you're way richer than before. But uh, on the flip side, um, on Adop Alert, like uh, number one country of visit is US, but in the top 10, we see a lot of developing countries like Nigeria, India, Philippines, Indonesia, and Turkey. And in these countries, um, they're kind of like in an economical prison. The, they have limited options to get out of the current system and their currency is uh, highly unstable. Uh, I think Turkey had a record-breaking inflation of 40% in the last quarter. Um, now imagine your 40% of your savings just vaporizing in three months. It's insane. So for, yeah. for the people in these countries, crypto or Bitcoin is a, is a way out of the economical prison and they can invest in a currency that's it is volatile but it's it's growing over the past 10 years which their local currency is not and they have new ways to earn money instead of people are playing play to earn games like axie and making a thousand dollars a month while they are making 300 dollars a month driving uber uh, so they have new ways of making money new ways to store money and it's a way out of the system that they're currently in so it's a bit of both but i can see yeah uh, basically it's a argument where you can argue both sides of the spectrum, right? No, for sure. Well, this has been a, a great conversation. I'm sure we could spend another hour ch chatting here. But before we, we wrap up, I want to give my audience the ability to sort of follow you and learn more about what you're doing. For those who are not familiar with how fungibility works, you can come to the fungibility website. You'll see this week's episode in the list of actions and challenges. You'll, you can get points for following and, and visiting uh, Morton's various properties, social media, and so on. But for those listening, where can they learn more about you? Um, so my personal Twitter is Mort Poker. So M-O-R-T Poker, one word. You can recognize me on the PFP NFT. And like my company's one is adopalert.com, uh, one word as well. We also have a NFT, PFP NFT there. Um, so yeah, follow both those channels to yeah, collect free airdrops, find out more about NFT airdrops, play to earn games, and to see me tweet about NFTs mostly. <laughs> well, it's been an amazing run here. My, my first month of the podcast is now complete. We're four weeks in. For those who celebrate, I hope everybody has a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We will be back in 2022 with another set of podcast episodes. Really appreciate all the viewers or I guess listeners of the podcast. And thank you very much. And Martin, th thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Ruth. And uh, Feliz Navidad, everyone. Feliz Navidad. <laughs>